My name is Martin Schichtel and I'll be the often path by combining history and future to resolve a couple of issues in our energy system. Today's episode is proof that when an idea sounds too good to be true, it doesn't mean that it's not possible. It just means that it's a great business idea, maybe. Well, Martin Schichtel leveraged unique industry insight to build a business that captures the enormous amount of waste that so many different industries blast out without giving it a second thought. He patented energy storing blocks that can store 1.2 megawatt hours of thermal energy at a temperature level of up to 1300 degrees C. This means that we can store the heat byproducts of tons of heavy industries which can translate into cost savings, decarbonizing entire industries, and generally making our whole society much more efficient. Now he had a brilliant idea, he executed on that idea, and he saw near immediate success bringing his brilliance into the world. I love crazy, out-of-the-box solutions like this, and I know you will too. So here's Martin Schichtel, I'm Ross Palmer, and this is Beat the Often Path. Well, welcome to the show, Martin. You've done some very fascinating stuff. You're clearly a person who's been building the future for a very long time, decades even, and you have begun in material science and you are really pioneering a bunch of things that I find very fascinating mm. in sustainable energy. So first of all, how the heck did you get here? How did you end up on this crazy path? <laughs> This really is a quite long story. Actually, it was not a typical, uh, let's say, startup thing to say, hey, that's the idea, I will do it. Um, that's why I said I combined history with the future, right? So um, I was working, especially the last decade, in, in selling ceramic products, special ceramic coatings to steel, glass ceramics industry. And those uh, were smart coatings helping to, to increase energy efficiency of furnaces, ovens, and things like that. Means on the other hand, I've seen a lot of energy wasting, right? A lot of flue gases thrown to the chimney into the atmosphere without being used. Actually, I never thought about that before. Um, and then in 2008, roughly, I saw a TV report about a, a heat storage made of concrete. I found it pretty interesting, right? Cheap material you can cast in each shape available worldwide. But um, the confusing thing was they named themselves a high temperature heat storage, but could only store mm. 500 degrees C. So I was calling just the inventors, which was a German research institute and a construction company, actually. I said, why is there a limit in temperature? Why can't you store at 1000 degrees? So why not at 2000 degrees C? We discussed, uh, actually, we met also in person for two days, discussed about this topic. And um, it turned out that concrete is the problem itself, because this cannot bear that much temperature. And from that time, it was just, um, for me, curiosity and and a scientific approach to figure out how to improve concrete. I didn't think, even at that point think about building a company, solving world's problem, but just it was a challenge, right? Uh, and that's exactly what I did. I took this challenge, uh, started thinking about typical scientific approach, what's the problem, literature research, things like that, and uh, came up with a new storage material. And this was the point roughly three years later, four years later, to think about what could such a heat storage do in the future, how it should look like to reduce um, things like like uh, heat and flue gases. How can we do it in green heat, right? Converting electricity to heat. And that's where the idea of our company of Kraftblock uh, started raising in my head and um, building the company started. That's amazing. And you started that in 2014, right? So that's relatively yes. new, I guess. Yeah, okay. it's relatively new. It depends how you define startup, right? Here in Germany, you define right. I guess it's old uh, and maximum. <laughs> oh, well, startup yeah. years. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's almost <laughs> a decade old. That's not so bad. Um, okay, so 
Yeah, the, you know, when I think of things like smart coatings, these are the types of words that ignorant people such as myself, who aren't very technical, you hear these things mm. and you think, okay, clearly these are important things. There's a lot of money to be made. <laughs> what you just described seems very important because this is heavy industry stuff, which most yeah. people don't know anything about. Um, so I guess before we get into the, the craft block solution specifically, how did you find yourself interested in materials to begin with at the start of your career? Why did you go into the material space and why did you pursue that path? What motivated you yeah. on those ideas? Uh, I assume actually it was my parents uh, when I have been six or seven years old, right? They, they were always okay. interested in nature. So none of them studied something, right? So um, both were totally normal parents, but always interested in in nature, we're explaining a lot about biology, plants, mineralogy, things like that. So I think they they brought me to this pathway in into direction of thinking about materials, natural science uh, in general. Uh, and uh, starting from high school, I was fascinated from uh, chemistry. And uh, actually, I think it was 14, 15, it was pretty clear that we'll study chemistry because I was I was thinking about how does this work? How could nature work by using chemistry? So again, just curiosity, how does it work at the end? And that's where I was coming to this topic. Well, chemistry first, material science a little bit later, but uh, the same cosmos. Okay, so but you, your parents inspired you. You figured you had a passion for this and a talent for it. And then yeah. you decided, okay, this is the field that I want to go into. And from that, you saw a lot of waste and that waste led you to form this concept. Yeah, I think if you're in the field of chemistry and working in different different positions and different industries, you see a lot of things that could go better uh, in the future, right? We are thinking about, I've been in the plastics industry also. A lot of plastic waste, plastic pollution nowadays here, thinking about uh, biodegradable plastics at the moment, things like that. Never thought, nobody thought about this 20 years ago, right? And uh, I think we need people who try to 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 come out of the box with new ideas, with new approaches, new challenges to get the trouble the problems, the troubles of the old worlds uh, solved, and that's that's a little bit what I am or what I try to do. Yeah, well, it seems like you're doing it. Uh, sustainability was that something that you've always been interested in, or is that something that you like? You said you just discovered this is a wasteful <laughs> thing, and I think I can fix it. Have you cared yeah. about some of those global issues like climate change and climate tech before? If you would have asked this question, uh, let's say 10, 12 years ago, I was a, uh, I was typical petrol head, okay. loving big cars, uh, wonderful fast. I mean, sure. in Germany, we do not have any speed limits. Uh, that's also a reason to that's have true. fast cars, of course. Um, but wait, um, I gotta I gotta interrupt you there. I have to interrupt you there yeah. because when I the first time I saw Kraft Block and I was thinking of Kraft Werk, you know, which I use, I'm a mm. big techno fan. I was thinking mm -hmm. of over far and far and far and off the autobahn. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was the first thought that went to my head. So is that the inspiration for Kraft Block? <laughs> you say I want to be like Kraft Werk, but with my own company. Might, might have been unconscious, but uh, no, no, it yeah. was really when we were looking for a name, we we screened with the team of our investors, with friends and family roughly 80 names uh, and craft block was the one turned out to be a pretty good one okay. because craft it's in German also for power right so craft mm. is, is power craft is also a little bit like handmade if you like things in um, hand, um, uh, craft beers or things like that sure. um, and block I mean that's the format of our storage it's just a kind of block right. uh, that so we offer like a Lego end. block uh, yeah. So, yeah it's, it's, it's a perfect mixture out of our world uh, we also took, of course, a look at um, Google, Bing, Yahoo on the search engines. 
And when we found the name CraftBlock, it was amazing because there was were two, two, two hits in CraftBlock. One is the German, which means uh, your weight training if you do exercise, if you sports in the gym, which is also a CraftBlock in Germany. Okay. And the other one was, you still can find it today, a cheddar cheese from Heinz. I was going to say, yeah, cheese. That's what we as American know. Yeah, because we have a craft yeah. cheese company. Yeah, it's like American exactly. cheese. <laughs> I thought that would be more obscure, but I love that you found that. Like, give me a craft block. I'm hungry. Um, that's funny. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. It's too funny. Okay, so that's where the name comes from. All right. So you used to be a diesel, a petrol head, as you said. Big cars. You loved gasoline. You loved that feeling. Yeah. And then suddenly, you yeah. said, which is a fascinating story because not everybody comes from that angle, and I think. It's inspiring to me to think, okay, somebody can come from that and maybe switch <clears throat> gears and start thinking about the future. So, all right, so 10, 12 years ago, completely different path. What made you yeah. kind of change and start going this way? Actually, it was, um, as, as I tried to explain a little bit, the, the transition of what I have seen in my, my um, career path and uh, thinking about new approaches, how to, to solve those problems, or thinking about why people never thought about thinking, uh, uh, thought about solving this problem, right? Everybody is knowing since 10 years, 15 years, don't know, maybe even 80 years, that there's a lot of heat in flue gases, steel, glass, ceramics industry, um, cement industry, even chemical industry. And I mean, on one hand, it's, it's wasted carbon dioxide or wasted emission because you used oil, gas, or coke to produce this heat. On the other hand is, of course, wasted money because you bought the, the gas and you just waste 50% of the gas for food gases. So it doesn't make any sense, even from economics. That was a little bit the the the, um, uh, the mind quarrel I fought by myself to figure out what is the right approach, what is the right path, why should we do it today? Uh, all right, so concrete wasn't the answer. It wasn't hot enough. And I think based on doing this show from other people, we know that concrete itself, the manufacturer, has oh, yeah. its share of problems, right? It's not very yes. sustainable as it's been traditionally done. And yet your product seems to be 85% mm -hmm. sustainable materials. You mentioned that you don't use rare earth materials. No. So you've patented, if I'm not mistaken, this uh, technology, which goes up to yeah. 1,300 degrees, which is mm -hmm. much hotter. So what types of materials, what was the breakthrough that you found there that allowed you to store so much more heat than the previous solutions? Um, it was a mixture out of uh, sustainability thinking and a new approach to say, okay, well, nobody really took or cared about uh, designing thermal energy storage materials, right? So people thought about concrete. We talked about this before. People are thinking about natural-based material like basalt, sand, uh, volcanic rock, so existing materials already. Um, I think only in, in steel industry, there is a heat storage comparable to ours for 50, 60 years. Not very efficient, but it's existing, uh, which is a tailor-made material for these purposes. But uh, none other materials have been tailor-made, especially in sensible storage materials before. So we try to mix sustainability with a new approach to design a thermal storage material. Um, and we are using actually a steel slag, so waste material from the steel production itself. We are using things like um, refractory materials that are put on disposal sites because um, every 10, 15 years, for example, each uh, furnace in steel industry or in glass industry have to be, be reconstructed more or less. So they are replacing the old um, refractories against new ones, also a lot of waste. And these materials are pretty brilliant because they already have seen high temperatures. 
so they won't change anymore. They are stable. Uh, we said um, we usually say thermal and mechanically dead because there's nothing, no movement, no uh, phase change anymore. And on the other hand, and these are the 10 to 15%, a special type of binder. So from the old world circular economy, we take the heat capacity and we use the heat conductivity for this binder. And that's why we can tailor our storage material to different purposes, what else it is. And based on that, we even can create a new materials class, even for further, uh, further development of material in terms of capacity, use cases and things like that. Okay, so you think this is just the beginning? You think you've still got yes. room to go? Definitely. Wow, okay. I kind of I kind of right, solve so, the old problems with the old technologies, yeah. right? Because they created right. those those problems, uh, so I have to think about new ways. Right. So let's talk about the significance. I mean, obviously, on your website, you mentioned a number of industries. Again, things that mm. average people such as myself we don't think about. It's something like the paper <laughs> industry produces five percent uh, of uh, uh, was it carbon or or he and so there's lots of different industries that you mentioned. Also. We know, uh, I think anybody mm -hmm. who studies sustainable energy knows that it's not just generating the energy that's the issue, but it's storing and capturing yes. that energy that's the issue. Yeah. And you mentioned in your home of Germany that windmills, when they reach excess capacity, they just shut them off. They don't generate energy anymore, which is, of course, yep. wasted energy, right? So talk to me about how just simply storing high heat or energy in the form of heat, what are the implications of that? And why is that such mm -hmm. a significant thing for so many different industries? Yeah. So first of all, Ross, I also had to learn a lot about heat and processes where they are used, right? I never thought about pulp and paper too, because never have been in this industry. But it's the same for food industry. It's the same for textile industry and a couple of more industries. They do have a lot of process heat demand. The complexity of heat is that heat is not the heat, right? You can have heat like steam. You can have it as hot air, thermal oil, frying fat. What else? These are all all is heat, but all different types of applications. That's why it's so complicated to get a grasp on heat uh, itself. Um, if you take a couple of rough figures and say, okay, let's have a look on the energy demand of a nation, then average worldwide, and that's pretty fascinating, 50% of this uh, energy demand is heat demand. Only 30% hmm. is electricity and roughly 20% is fuels. So you can, you can see very simply, heat is the big elephant in the room. And... Uh, 80, 85, 90% of this heat are still generated using fossil fuels, um, gas, of course, natural gas, uh, oil and coal. And the next step is quite easy. If you can decarbonize this part of the heat, really make a huge step in our race against climate change because we avoid 25, 28% of the emissions, or we could avoid if we decarbonize heat. And that's the way we want to go. Um, our approach is, and you already mentioned it, we can use, of course, renewables. Renewables, usually PV, wind, it's not continuous energy production, energy generation. It's it's fluctuating, right? You have uh, peak, uh, peak loads, you have uh, hours without any wind, without any sun, so it's not really um, fully calculable. So you need a storage that buffers the energy in between. For example, if you have run PV, Sun only shines uh, during the day, right? You have to bridge the night hours. So you store excess from the from the PV to use it for the night hours. The simplest example why to use the storage. And you also mentioned it in Germany. Well, Germany is pretty special. We do have what is called Erneuerbare Energiengesetz, which is pretty brilliant for operators of PV farms or wind farms because 
I think they get paid for 90% of the energy they do not deliver when they have to shut down. So that they, they get their money anyway. And ah, that's a little okay. bit crazy because we, yeah. last year in Germany, it was 1.6, 1.6, what was a billion uh, euro that was paid to those operators to shut down their plants. Eee, make that's any not sense. good. No. Yeah. Okay. So we've got the heat captured and I've seen your graph and it all stores in the blocks, right? And uh, you mentioned that they last 40 years or you didn't mention, but it's on the website, um, on the website which is incredible. Too. They can charge many cycles, one cycle per day. So mm -hmm. once we've captured and stored this high heat, how do we then get it out of there and how do we then push it to all of those applications that it can be yeah. useful in? I think this is a quite special approach that we have taken. We have said, let's split the energy or the storage system uh, into three different parts. One is the storage itself. The other one is the charging device. And the third one is the discharging device, which means we created a storage platform because the storage device is always the same. But the interfaces, the couplings can be different. It could be a power to heat system to use in renewable electricity, which is converted to heat and stored could be waste heat recycling, so steel, glass, ceramics, where waste heat already is existing, could be taken in, into the storage and stored. And the same for the discharging, right? So the question is, what type of heat does the customer need or what type of energy? Does he need steam? Does he need thermal oil, hot air, cold? Even electricity could be possible because at the end, it's nothing else but producing steam that operates a steam turbine. So we can tailor it really perfectly for the uh, for the customer uh, customer demand at the end, and that's what we're usually doing, right? So standardized storage, different coupling size to to satisfy different demands. Um, the easiest way for us usually, if we talk about high grade heat, so not below four hundred degrees C, if we talk about higher than four hundred, usually the heat transport is done by a type of gas, could be air, could be directly from the flue gas. So you take a hot air into the storage device itself, our pellets absorb the heat, and then cold air exits. If we need the energy again, we just pump cold air through the storage, which absorbs again the heat and takes it to the application, for example, steam generation. That's yeah. as, as simple as it is. That's amazing. So how long can you actually store the heat in these blocks? Um, a thermal storage, a high temperature energy storage, a very important uh, uh, to mention this is designed to store for a few hours till a few days. We can do the exercise on maximum two weeks. And in two weeks we say, okay, that's a little bit the, the break point where it's not economic anymore. So maximum two weeks. This podcast is brought to you by my digital agency, Aloha. That's A-L-O-A, -A, Digital Agency, a digital marketing agency that helps brands and nonprofits on a mission tell their story. We do website prototyping, design, UI, UX, SEO, CRO, content, 3D design and video, animation, industrial design, content management, learning management systems, and our roots are in e-commerce, managing and building extensive catalogs with hundreds or even thousands of products. In short, we do everything that brands need to grow their digital presence with simple transparency monthly pricing that you can build a la carte. So learn more at aloha.agency. That's A-L-O-A dot agency. You've got partners like Mitsubishi and other people, so obviously you're catching on in your mm -hmm. home country and elsewhere. So what can some of these companies like Mitsubishi, what can they expect? How do they benefit from working with you? And what has changed in their process from working <laughs> with you? First of all, those companies have to learn a lot because... Um, 
just just to give you a very very um, illustrative example, when we talked to customers two or three years ago about high temperature energy storage, uh, the customer always said, "Hey, that's pretty good, 120 degrees C hot water storage." Uh, no, we are thinking about 800, 1000, 1300 degrees. Right. How how should this work? Right. 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 So the the market education was very, very low. Only some specialists knew what is a high temperature energy storage uh, itself. So we had to educate the market. We had to educate our partners. We had to educate the customers. And this worked, went, uh, worked out pretty well. Um, so now they are understanding what is this type of storage? What can it do? What are the use cases? Um, and then, I mean, depends on how the partnership works. It could be a kind of sales channel for us. It could be support in engineering and so-called EPC services, which take care about the whole project. So we just could deliver the, the storage itself and uh, really focus on our core developments. Um, this is pretty different. So most of the work we do with our partners today is really educating them, taking them through the point where they can use the storage best. Well, that's what we're helping with right now. We're educated because this is all new. It's so exciting. Um, so mm -hmm. if, if you had your way and there was an ideal future and this went as far as you can possibly imagine, what would the implications of wide adoption of this be in, say, the next five or ten years? Well, it would be pretty, pretty cool if storage, whether it's thermal storage like ours also, or also battery storage, it doesn't matter, would be really a, a essential pillar of the energy system in the future. Because I'm convinced without the thermal storage, we cannot fully shift to renewables uh, in, in the future, or we have to invent other technologies. So if if a storage would be a, um, in Germany say 0815, so if it's a, a well-known standard would be used in, in five years or in 10 years, that would be amazing. That makes sense. So from your position, now that you've been in this and you know more about the industry than the average person, uh, what do you think the biggest opportunity is just in general? Do you think this is it? Do you see other things? What do you see basically that people such as myself don't see who aren't immersed in it? Well, um, first of all, I see a, a small battle in new technologies. I mean, it's, it's, it's very helpful because it shows that there is a big market uh, for those uh, opportunities in the future, right? So mo mostly we compete against hydrogen in Europe, Germany, especially, but Europe also, it's a, it's a big driver in the market. A lot of people are crying for hydrogen because it's green. You can burn it. You can do anything else. Uh, but at the end, the efficiency to generate it is yeah, pr pretty low and it doesn't make sense in all the use cases politicians especially dream about. Um, we see battery energy storage, which is also good. You already mentioned it, rare earth and, and things like that, but also high cost for battery storages. So also in terms of thermal process heat, it doesn't make any sense to put, to install a battery storage. Um, the option is a thermal storage and that's why there are thermal storages in the market. Um, the, the, the point is that especially let's say even the engineers, even uh, the site operators, which should have a full view on their system, a, a full view on their, uh, on their processes, should have a glimpse on how uh, thermal storage systems could help, how, how they could support their systems. Um, I just can remember when we visited one of the biggest steel mills in the world, we have been there for two weeks and went really from position to position, from side point to side point, from location to location. 
to do a mapping, where do we have waste heat? How much, how complicated is the engine? I mean, those companies should know this by themselves, right? It should not be an external party with a new idea coming up and, and doing a screening and mapping to increase right. the energy efficiency of those plants. Right. And that's what I, I think it's, it's pretty crazy. But um, probably it is because people do it in their daily daily work. They do not think about it. They just operate it, right? They do not think how to improve it, how to increase energy efficiency, how to, to uh, let's say, resolve uh, a couple of um, even mechanic problems in, in their uh, processes. Um, and that is what I think that's crazy. But if they understand, well, a storage can do this, you can integrate in this process without uh, having inter interference with their quality of their products and things like that, then they they can take the next step. Um, and that's why I think what exactly what you mentioned, Ross, um, you are not in this topic. You cannot see a lot of things. And there are people who are, who are professional in this area and they still and they don't still see, can't the, see the issues. So They don't see it. Yeah, that, that's why I think it's it's pretty good if you have uh, um, people with an external view, right, who have not been in the process before, who have not been in the industry before, uh, to have a new approach to solve those problems. Because it seems to me that throughout our society, from companies to individuals, we think in terms of an input-output model, right? Mm -hmm. Even in my own personal life, I get a plastic package, I open the plastic package, I throw the plastic away. And all of us pretty much think about is just mm -hmm. the cost of that. How much did it cost me to get that plastic package? And if that cost is right... I'm happy. I don't really think about what happens to the plastic afterwards. And I think a lot of companies operate in the very same way. They say if it's mm. cheap enough to get an input from here, output goes there. Very few people are thinking about, okay, but does that output have value? Or are we inefficient as long as the cost makes sense? And I think mm. because we've just been operating in this shareholder mentality where we're just trying to maximize oh, yeah. profits, there hasn't been any incentive in collecting some of that waste that we're going through. And now we're at a point as a species where we say, hey, mm. yes, bringing in more resources is a valuable thing, but we also need to kind of make better use of the resources that we have. And then, like you mentioned, yeah. the circular economy is something that I'm endlessly mm. fascinated with about how can we reuse and be more efficient in what we do have. We know mm. that that's a big deal, right? Yeah, it is, definitely. Uh, I mean... Yeah. It, it is always the problem, let, let's say, in, in economics itself or in industries itself, right? Nobody wants to wave the green sustainability flag if they lose money introducing new right. processes. Because you can't sell that to your shareholders. Yeah. No, no, you can't sell it. So at the end, it's you and me probably who will decide about the green future or not, right? So if I take a look to uh, the new generation, right? So we do have things like Fridays for Future and, and other movements in the world. Uh, so the, the new, let's say the new generation of youth obviously seems to have a pretty different approach than we had before. And I think if the end customer is aware and the youth will be the end customer of the future, or is it already today, is aware about that topic that, hey, look, I don't want to have any snack anymore, which is not sustainable, which releases carbon dioxide. I do not want to drink a soft drink, which is not sustainable. That's the pressure the industry needs. Yeah. Completely, completely agree. So now having gone from a decade of being a petrol head to this, where you clearly see a lot <laughs> and you're very intelligent about the future, and I think your viewpoints have shifted in a broader sense, 
Do you feel that you're fundamentally optimistic about the future of humanity? Are you pessimistic? Are you not sure? You know, will we shoot ourselves in the foot, to use an expression, or will we survive? Will we pull through? How do you feel day-to-day <laughs> about that? That's a pretty good question. I like it. And there are a lot of answers I do have to this question. So first of all, I'm an optimist. I'm fully optimistic. So I really believe I, I can jump from a, a skyscraper and pass each floor and says, well, it turned out to be good. And maybe I hit the floor. Maybe I learned to, uh, I like to, fl- uh, to fly. I don't know yet. So I, I really fully positive um, person. Um, our earth will survive. I'm convinced. I mean, nature always was able to adjust to each of the conditions which happened in the past, even um, even if uh, with the the, the uh, impact of um, what was in the meteor hitting the Earth and yeah, the giant uh, meter, yeah. wiping away all the dinosaurs, nature survived. Whether mankind survived, not sure about this. If, if we can adapt, or uh, if we try to evolve ourselves to the next stage, and even if it's to say, just think more sustainable, then we will have a good chance. And you believe that we will. You believe that we will overcome these hurdles and be more sustainable and be that utopian future, or at least a better version of our Actually, yeah. Actually, I'm quite optimistic. Maybe not in the next 10 or 20 years, but as I said, I'm I'm really fully, fully backing on our youth to say, hey, guys, you you made a lot of mistakes in the past. We have to correct it somehow. We'll find our way in the future. We need your help. We need your support. I think in this combination, we can do it. So what do you think an ideal future would be like on the longer term? I mean, obviously, we know that there are tremendous disparities country to country on the planet Mm. right now. There are places, 350 almost unlivable cities right now with pollution. There have been studies that have recently come out that says air pollution is worse than tobacco. So we know, and if you've traveled the world at all, there's a lot of places Mm. that have a very, very different view of what society should be or, you know, not saying through any fault of their own, but as a result of the systems that we're in. Um, the planet is almost unlivable currently for a large mm. number of people based on these systems. So in your mind, what would that ideal scenario be? What would it look like? What would life be like if everything worked out? Well, ideally, ideally, the world would be more international, right? Uh, we are talking about refugees um, also um, trying to leave their countries because of climate, because of wars. And especially in Europe, we, we face a couple of problems um, by even be even trying to help those people uh, to to build um, let's say to build a new future uh, somewhere, and that's pretty pretty complicated. I think, um, and that's probably the biggest obstacle. Nobody wants to leave um, his way of living they have today. Nobody wants to say, okay, I spend a little bit more money for this. I do not drive my car anymore. I take public services or things like this. So everybody wants just to stay where they are and maybe even even spend spend more gas, oil, just to get more comfort in the comfort zone. Right. On the other way, I also believe that there is a big chance in the upcoming nations, right? If you talk about India, if you talk about Africa, um, those are, those are nations which do not never experienced fully what let's say the oil and gas industry could bring us with benefits, whether it's cars or just 
heating systems or furnaces or ovens. So those, those regions really have a strong chance directly to jump into the renewable business already today. Just so skip they a step. Just, just skip a step. That's that's what they also, yeah. for example, in Africa uh, did with the, the mobile phones, right? They never had phones on the line like we have experienced in the past. They directly skipped one step and went to the mobile world. Uh, probably the, the, the GSM is much better than in Germany, but um, anyway, that's a different story. So I think, I think, I think there is, um, but it's, it's all about internationalization, right? Everybody has to accept the others. Everybody has, uh, should, uh, support others. And I say, oh, stay away from my country, keep out there, just stay where you are. Um, that's the biggest issue I see for the future. I completely agree. We're all on this one tiny dot and we have to act like it. I think that's yeah. absolutely right. And we have to make those kinds of hard choices. And mm -hmm. because even I watched this documentary about, you know, Singapore and Singapore is this paragon that everybody takes public transportation. They made it outrageously mm -hmm. expensive to own cars, which is positive because they have a huge population and there just aren't that many people on the roads. That's yeah. good. But then you see a, a wealthy millionaire driving a car and then some kind of extreme status symbol. And you think, okay, well, then that's still like th that. We're not all the way there yet because now you just covet. You just want to be a multimillionaire to be able to get a car. And then so uh, there are steps, but obviously, mm. you know, we have a lot of work to do on the individual level of yes. what do we think is an ideal life and what are we willing to do? to make that ideal life? What are we willing to give up? You know, is it plastic yeah. forks? Is it plastic packaging? What conveniences are we willing to change? Mm. Um, but I think, well, yeah, what you're doing is awesome. I'm very, very glad that we got the opportunity to talk. You clearly have your head on correctly, as we say. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I guess the last question I have is about the building of the business itself. Mm. I'm sure you took a huge risk at the time when you actually started. You've taken on funding. How has that journey gone? Was it always something that you felt would be successful? Were there extreme struggles in the beginning stages? Were there moments where you thought, I don't know what I'm doing. I've made a big mistake. Uh, no. <laughs> no, actually, okay. it's, it's a simple... It's a simple straight up, <laughs> blast a, off and go. A, a, simple, a simple no. A, a simple no. Okay. Um, I was and I still am convinced that that is one of the perfect solutions, especially for industries, um, might not be for, for private homes. And that's why we also selected industries as the first customer, because I believe, A, there's a lot of money, so industries can pay for the capex uh, at the end. Yeah. Private homes might be very difficult to do it. Um, and B, if we are able to decarbonize just one industrial side, we probably would have to decarbonize heat for eight or 10,000 private homes or one, one family homes at the same time. So it's easier to do this step in the industry. And as I said, 25% of the carbon dioxide release in heat is coming from industry. So just, just a big portion. Uh, and that's again, the combination out of my history or my past in the industry and, and the future that we can take now to see where is energy waste or wasted energy, how to resolve this problem and take it to a better way, to a transition way, to a pathway uh, for the future. I mean, what we can do with our system is also to go, for example, in the steel industry, say, okay, guys, you do have a waste heat stream, like that. let's recover it, put it back to your process. You don't need that much gas uh, the next time we operate your process. In the next stage, and that's what I really like, and uh, why I think there's also a big future, also in 40, 50, 60 years for, for storages, 
um, we can convert this waste heat recycling system to a renewable system, right? Because I just install a power to heat system, convert electricity to heat and operate it for the same process. So we can help them in a quite long uh, time to do their transition from old ones to the very new to the future industries. Um, and that was my conviction from the very beginning when I founded the company. Funding, completely different story. Uh, funding in Germany, uh, Europe especially is quite, um, how to say, um, not slow, but low at the end. So if I just compare to, to what is happening in the US or even in Asia, funding for clean tech companies is um, extremely amazing. Um, here in Europe, people are quite restrictive. Well, you do not, not, not only have to have an idea to get some funding, you should have your prototype in space, your pilot for the next stage, first commercial contracts for the next stage, this and that, free full sales pipeline. So it's a bit right. different, but um, it's working out quite well. Um, so so I a much more conservative approach, yeah. a much more conservative approach to investing, it sounds yeah. like, which makes it much more difficult if you're just starting out. Um, that's, that's awesome. So did a lot of people then, investors and first contracts, did they have the same kind of impression that I had where they once they saw what you were talking about, was it immediately light bulb going off and oh i see because that's yeah. the way i felt when i stumbled across your website i thought yeah. oh this is just obvious brilliant actually uh, actually it's exactly the same way if people as soon as people understand what we are doing and what the implications are it's the this mind sparkling and say yeah okay that's cool let's let's do this <laughs> well that's that's so fascinating and i think we as regular folk there's nothing that's more inspiring than thinking that there are solutions to problems that you didn't even know existed. And that's where I personally find my joy. That's the joy of doing this show mm -hmm. is to find entirely new categories where people such as yourself are doing amazing things because you think, oh, I didn't even know this was a problem and there's somebody working on a solution to a problem that I didn't <laughs> even know it existed, right? Nothing is more fun than that. And that's what I seek out with all of these episodes. So I'm glad I found you. Um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I think it's absolutely brilliant and I look forward to the widespread adoption of your technology. May you continue to improve and increase your materials science and may oh, yeah. you, you know, get to that next level in the next 10 years. Um, so I guess before, you know, before we wrap things up here, do you have a bit of parting advice for anybody who maybe wants to make a, a difference or a positive change in the climate, either via entrepreneurship or other means? What would you suggest to somebody who thinks, I want to get involved? How can they contribute to a better planet for all of us? I think the simplest one is stay curious. If you don't have uh, if you don't have an answer to a question, ask ask until you understood why a problem is a problem or could be a problem is a problem, because that's the beginning of all of all new developments of new all new technologies of all new movements. So curiosity is really a very very big and wonderful thing. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, thanks again, Martin. And uh, with that, the official podcast. It's over. Thank you, sir. Thanks for being there, Ross. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Beat the Often Path podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes we've shared, 
It would mean a great deal to me if you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice or on YouTube. And of course, if you shared either the show itself or this particular episode with somebody who might want to hear it to help us grow the audience for the show, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So if you've been a passive listener all this time, I get it. I understand. There's no big deal with that. But it would really, really mean a lot to me if you'd leave a positive review and help me grow this show. So thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.